The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Well, so glad to have you all back again. We're, we're looking forward to this, to this day of seeing all of you and meeting all of you and all of us getting to know each other more and more. Um, there, uh, if you'd like, we'd like to encourage you to form neighborhood groups to, so that this isn't just limited to, uh, to once a month, these get-togethers, so that you can form your own smaller sanghas. That would be, um, that'd be nice. So you can do that among the people that you, uh, or that are here. <clears throat> we thought that might be a better way to do than assigning them. You know, just find people who you have an affinity with or you, you want to continue to meet with. And if you need help with that, I think Fiona's going to be sending out a list. Yeah. And to that regard, there's a sign-up sheet out there, right, to, to correct any miscorrections in your name, address, or Gmail address. And if you don't want... <coughs> if you don't want any of those identities to go out to people, just indicate that and they won't. Okay? Yeah. Um, oh, I just kind of want to begin. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So... Um, What I've been thinking about <clears throat> a lot lately, inspired about, is this uh, theory. It's a psychological theory, um, very well documented. It, it's not new. It's been researched over and over again to refine it. And it's called the theory of the psychological set point. Which means that we're like those roly-poly dolls, or I think there's a, a Japanese doll called an okayagari doll. And you knock it over and it bounces right back. So um, this psychological set point means that this, you all have a set point of happiness a set point of well-being. And that no matter what's going on in your life, what losses happen, what failures happen, (laughs) what things happen that that you don't like, or things happen that you do really like, and your mind gets all clouded and full of, cluttered with these successes and failures and pleasures and pains and gains and losses, Eventually, the clouds the, the clouds clear, and like those Okayagari dolls, we return to a, just a set point of well-being. So, um, does that does that sound right? Seems right to me. You know, in my life and and people who I'm close to, they for some reason, maybe out of no seeming effort of their own. You know, they're just, the clouds clear, and they feel okay. They were troubled. They didn't make any particular effort. 
They might have made a lot of effort to make them clear, but nothing happened, and then all of a sudden, they clear. So, to me, the implications of this are um, amazing. It's like this well-being that we all return to, this kind of natural well-being that we aren't responsible for. Our our efforts have uh, uh, nothing to do with it. That there's something about it that's unconditional. There's this unconditional well-being that comes to us. So this well-being that comes to us is, uh, maybe it could be thought of as a gift, a gift of life. Um, Suzuki Roshi said over and over again, to be alive is enough. You are enough. It's kind of hard for us to believe that nothing is wrong. We think something is wrong. There's something we have to fix. Our mind is full of getting something to make it better. We just have to get a little something to make it better. Or we have to get rid of something to make it better. We're afraid of what's going to happen to us. So we try to make it so that won't happen. We're afraid that maybe we've done something that's really made it bad and we've got to do something about that. We're ashamed of it, feel guilty about it, have remorse. But this theory of set point of happiness means none of that matters. You can, you know... All the self-doubt, all the self-hatred, whatever you have, whatever comes to you from your karmic situation, in a way, don't worry about it. Wouldn't that be nice? Don't worry about it. No second arrows, no third arrows, no regrets, no shames, no hopes, no fears. Life is good enough just the way it is. And it may be hard to believe that it's good enough. It might seem like, is this all there is? Is this what nirvana is? Is this what enlightenment is? This well-being, I think, can not only be found when all the clouds clear. I think they can be found in, in the, it, it can be found in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our pain. If we look around the edges of our pain, of our stress, of our sadness, I think we can find that's still there around the edges. So the main point is 
we don't need to work so hard. In the Heart Sutra, it says there is no attainment because there is nothing to attain. So this is an important, uh, an important point in practice, maybe a central point in practice. How would that be? Just to be in the present moment or close to the present moment and not worry about attainment, not worry about getting anything. That it's, this, this is just enough. Suzuki Roshi always, uh, he also said that you are perfect just the way you are. Just the way we are. And, you know, we're not like anybody else. It doesn't make any sense to compare ourselves to anybody else. That your set point is better or worse than my set point. It's kind of a ridiculous idea. This is what we have. And someone else is, in a way, none of our business. So I've heard it said, actually there's a book about this, that just accepting that there's nothing wrong with you is what it means by finally growing up. Dogen said, Dogen Zenji, he's an iconic Zen master from the uh, 16th century, said, learn to take that backward step that turns the light and shines it inward. Body and mind of themselves will drop away and your original face will manifest. He also said, this is to expound the Dharma with this body is foremost. Just to be here with this body is foremost. Its virtue returns to the ocean of reality. So this just enoughness that we are here, you know, if we relax into this and accept this, just this awareness of the way things are right now, it's that the implications are unfathomable. We can open and expand and relax and let everything in, include everything. It is unfathomable. We just accept it with respect and with gratitude. So if we can really feel, sincerely feel, Um, this is enough, just this gift of life that I had no control over, this unconditioned, our mind is full of conditions, our identities are full of conditions. But what really is the meaning of life, in a way, is just a gift, unconditioned gift of life. What a relief that would be.
someone asked yesterday, I, I talked about this yesterday in another group, and someone said, is there some way to improve our set point? <laughs> Which is a bit of an oxymoron. But actually there is. Um, one study showed that there's one, only one way to improve your set point. And this makes sense to me. Because this present moment, just living, abiding in awareness here, without striving, without conflict, with acceptance. This awareness is receptive. It's a receptive field. It accepts all of you. And it can become more, more and more accept. It can become boundless, this acceptance. I'm not saying some kind of middle eye is opened or some crazy lights of enlightenment start to appear, but just there's a boundless feeling of space and uh, yeah, just a boundlessness in this just being here that we can open up to and relax into if we just aren't conflicted about anything, if we just know that we're enough. And so this, this inclusiveness, it inc- it's, it's got... It's got a loving kindness in it. It has a compassion in it. It, it. it includes you. My acceptance includes you. It has compassion for you, for your suffering. It has gladness for your happiness. And that's how you can improve your set point through compassion, through kindness, through allowing your kindness, through allow, allowing your love to, uh, to manifest through service. So we are all Buddha. Isn't that nice? You're Buddha. You're Buddha. You're Buddha. I'm Buddha. Glad about that. No problem. So we can relax and let our cluttered minds unclutter. Someone asked Suzuki Roshi, um, what is the most important thing? And he answered, to find out what is the most important thing. In ancient times, monks used to write on the walls, on the walls of their kuti or their cave or wherever they were, the, the, the word death. So, what is the most important thing? Let's use that as a question for, for groups. Does that sound okay? What is the most important thing? So if you could divide up into groups of four, and um, we'll just go around at your own, uh, maybe take five minutes each and, and just talk about what you think is the most important thing. Yeah, Jerry? 
Perhaps I'm speaking as a physician, but I think I'm speaking more as a mid-septuagenarian. Um, I take your words as aspirational, but question if they reflect reality, that um, everybody's carburetor is set differently in a lot of natural states. Um, have genetic components or in difficult times, environmental components in which the set point is not happiness and that help sometimes beyond the Dharma needs to be sought uh, and that relying on, um, on sitting won't always do it. It can lead to spiritual bypassing and a lot of other things. So that's obvious, um, but my two cents. That's very important to, uh, you know, there's a, a, a Buddhist uh, chant. Um, All my ancient twisted karma, which we all have, we're all wounded. We've all uh, been... Um, injured by other people. Animals don't injure us, but other people have injured us. We've all had, what do you call it? You know, heartbreak. Yeah, heartbreak. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and we've all had vicissitudes. We all have that. And, and it goes, the born of body, speech, and mind, I now fully avow. So yes, it's so important to recognize our pain and not bypass the pain. So what is important in life? What is important in life? Okay? Please. Yes. Yes, so let's take five minutes, each person, and I'll ring a bell after 20 minutes. And, oh yes, and the other further guidelines are, no, we, we please do not crosstalk. Uh, please do not help anybody. We're here, we're here to listen to each other, to take in each other fully. Does that answer your question? Okay. Yeah. What is important in life? And you might have a big word, letter of death on your wall. <laughs> because it's going to come very soon. Okay, go ahead. I could have asked the question is what do you have faith in? Do you actually have faith in um, the unconditioned that it's just it's just given to you. This, there's this, just this, that there is enough here. This is enough. What, what is your faith? You know, do you have faith that if you don't do anything at all, that you have enough, your life is enough? You're, you're, that um, to, to uh, there, there are other ways to put it. I don't want to get too woo-woo, but that this is sake that, but this is sacred, you know. Do you have faith that this is sacred? That what, 
without any effort of our own, when conditions, when all the conditions, the concepts, the clutter of our minds settles, something is sacred here. So if there's something I'd like you to take from this, what I've said, if there's something that you could remember that at all, it's this very mundane, secular, psychological theory that well-being is here. Well-being will always, no matter what you're going through, no matter how small, how big, a flat tire, somebody you know, puts you across in the road, or you, know, you have a stroke. Or this, this study was done with paraplegics and people that had, one of them, and people who had won the lottery. Paraplegics, their well-being seemed to return after about six months, the same set point of their well-being. The most, one of the most uh, happy people I know I, mean, I uh, do chaplain work at the hospital. He, he comes to the hospital from time to time. He was, uh, I've seen pictures, I'm a very energetic, strong, successful, happy guy. Had a family of uh, I think four kids, all doing very well. His wife's doing very well. She has a good job. It just seemed like a very loving, happy family. And he was surfing in Half Moon Bay where he lives. And he uh, hit a, you know, the, the tide took, took him down and hit a rock and he became paraplegic. So he's in the hospital and he's, you know, paraplegic. He's just lying there. And, but the most generous, happy, warm, oh, I'm so happy to see you again. I was hoping to see you. That kind of, I just love to go in his room. And on the other hand, um, people who win the lottery had this brief period of euphoria and then they, just, they, come, they come back. That was one of the studies. Another study was of college campuses in Yale. Yale students are no happier than community college students. <laughs> so, so, you know, no matter rich or poor or whatever your circumstance is, or, you know, if, if you don't mind my saying about your brother, yeah. if you know his brother had a stroke, she says he's never been happier. He drops so many things. And, and uh, people who have been given the death sentence by life who have found uh, that they are terminal often report that their last months are the happiest time of their life when they just drop all their cares. So that person knows there is nothing to attain. I want to just read a poem before we break. This is by Mary Oliver called Summer Day. Who made the world? Who made the swan and the black bear? Who made the grasshopper? This grasshopper, I mean, the one who flung herself out of the grass, the one who is eating sugar out of my hand, who is moving her jaws back and forth instead of up and down who is gazing around with her enormous and complicated eyes. Now she lifts her pale forearms and thoroughly washes her face. Now she snaps her wings open and floats away. I don't know exactly what a prayer is, 
I do know how to pay attention, how to fall down into the grass, how to kneel in the grass, how to be idle and blessed, how to stroll through the fields, which is what I have been doing all day. Tell me, what else should I have done? Doesn't everything die at last and too soon? Tell me, what is it you plan to do with your own wild and precious life?